use your customers to gain to gain other customers. Don't be shy about asking because I think from our own research, eight times out of 10, if you ask someone to leave a review, you've had a good experience, they'll do it for you. And they'll no doubt be an advocate for your business as well. So that's a great way for you to turn one customer into three. You're listening to the Build a Vibrant Culture podcast with professional speaker, coach, and consultant, Nicole Greer. Hey, welcome everybody to the Build a Vibrant Culture podcast. My name is Nicole Greer, and I am excited to be with you today. They call me the Vibrant Coach, and today I have a very vibrant guest on the show. I have Miles Anderson. He is the CEO and co-founder of Bright Local. I love the name of his company, Bright Local. It's very vibrant. It is a technology company with a mission to help marketers become brilliant at local search marketing. He founded it in 2009. Bright Local is an independent, bootstrapped business with a focus on profitable, long-term growth, growing at a rate of 20% a year. I know, those of you listening, you're jealous. Bright Local now serves over 6,000 customers and earns $9 million and employs over 190 people across the UK, Ukraine, and the Philippines. Bright Local works with a wide range of customers from pioneering digital marketing agencies like iProspect and Vortala Digital to some of the biggest brands in the world like Home Depot and Hilton. Bright Local success comes from a deep understanding of their customers' needs and understanding rooted in their origins as a digital marketing agency. Having been there himself, Miles and his team know what local businesses and agencies need to become brilliant at local CEO. And Bright Local achieves this through a powerful combination of software, done-for-you services, and educational support, which all enable marketers to learn, perform, and deliver on their goals with maximum effectiveness. Now, I know you're you're, you're going to just dying to get over there and look at everything. So go to www.brightlocal.com. That's where you go to find out about everything about SEO that he does. But here's what I'm interested in, because we're interested in building a vibrant culture. As CEO, Miles daily focuses on the expanding the leadership capabilities throughout his business, fostering a deep sense of accountability at every level and strengthening the highly supportive company culture that aims to make Bright Local the best place that any any employee will ever work. Oh my gosh, that is a huge, awesome goal. So welcome to the show, Miles Anderson. I'm glad you're here. Uh, Nicole, thank you very much for having me. Um, uh, I'm blushing by that very long uh, and sort of gushy <laughs> intro. Luckily, I'm wearing a red top. That maybe that's sort of like counteracting uh, counteracting uh, my cheeks. But um, but wow, yeah. When uh, when you read that back back to me, I'm I don't know what to say. I'm slightly lost for words. Uh, it's you know, <laughs> it sounds good, doesn't it? Um, it, but, uh, uh, it sounds really yeah. good. You've been working your you've been been working hard, haven't you, Miles? Yeah, I think you know. I, I just don't often take a huge amount of time to uh, to reflect on the whole journey um, that we've that we've been on. So when someone reads about you like that, you go, "Yeah, okay, actually, you know, you know, we've, you know." I think I sometimes focus more on you know what we get wrong or where the struggles are at that particular point in time, uh, and don't give enough time for the for the wins uh, or the all the little achievements. So thank you, I've really appreciated hear, hearing hearing that back. And um, although I'm blushing, I'm also very proud of, of what we've been able to achieve. Well, I, I think it's fantastic. And I would just like to dive into how did you do it, right? So first thing I, I want to do is I'm collecting definitions of leadership, uh, putting them together. So will you share with me what your definition of leadership is? Yeah. Um, so to be totally honest, 
I don't have a, a, a sort of you know a succinct phrase that I that I might like to use. So maybe let me describe how I see my role uh, as a leader uh, within an organisation. We're, we're now two hundred people, so a reasonable size. You know, by no means enormous, but you know we've uh, we've overcome a few a few hurdles to kind of get here. So for me, leadership is is one. It's about providing um, clear direction for where the business is going. So providing you know that that kind of mission, that vision, so that. The team around me knows what we're trying to achieve, and that's commonly understood across the uh, the whole team. Secondly, it's about it's about leading by example. So it's about conducting myself in a way that I want others in the business to to look at and understand. That's the way I want them to behave. So it's being a role model within the organisation, and then ensuring that that I help to spread. That those attitudes, those behaviours, as far down within the organisation as possible, be the champion of them, but also be the kind of conduit of them and the, and the chief communicator, so that those behaviours and beliefs become widespread and kind of commonplace within within the wider organisation. And I think it's about being a champion of other people. It's about being a champion of people. We are a very people focused organisation. The reason that we built business in the first place was to create a workplace that myself and my business partner, Ed, felt that we'd never had in our early careers, a place that was incredibly supportive, was nurturing, a place where we felt people cared personally about us. We wanted to create a place where people could come, feel those things, feel that they could bring their whole self to work, but then also give them an opportunity to grow enormously through uh, through coaching, through formal training, through giving them challenges that push them to to the next level and create an environment that is also one of high achievement. So where we look to push ourselves to be better every day, we look to learn from all the mistakes and opportunities that we either do and don't take advantage of, but do that in a way that we allow people to, to make mistakes, to be themselves, to have a, have a bad day if they're having a bad day and, and you know not hold it against them, but knowing that they'll come back stronger uh, once we've given them all the support as well as the, the nurturing, the, the, the coaching uh, and the training to kind of get there. So, yeah, I think if I sort of summed it up, it's about providing that vision and direction. It's about being a role model for the right attitudes uh, and behaviours. And then it's supporting people as much as possible uh, on their journey to both you know, be successful at work but also be successful in their personal lives, whatever that might happen to be. Mm, I love your definition. It's so beautiful. Yeah, clear direction, leading by example, uh, and then a champion of people. If I was going to give it three bullet points, those are the ones I'd give it. Great now, I, I love what you. Yeah, so I love what you said about also um, that that you are the champion for the right attitudes and behaviors. Let's go. Let's go there for a minute because sure. um, I'll tell you about twenty five years ago, Miles. I got promoted within my, you know, one of the greatest companies I ever worked for. And I became the training director. And when they uh, gave me the title of training director, they gave me this t-shirt that said attitude is everything. Um, and that I was going to wear these t this t-shirt while I was doing training with the team. And, um, and so it, what do you think about that? First of all, what do you think about that little phrase? Attitude is everything. Is it everything? I think it's, makes up i think it is a huge amount of what goes into being successful yeah. i think you can overcome a lot of skills shortages technical shortages through having the right attitude i don't think it's the other way around i think with the wrong attitude however good you are technically at doing your job um you will always come up short because you're not approaching it in the right way and you're not able to work with people around you in the right way that gets the best out of the group so yeah, I think I think it's maybe a little bit simplistic, but I think 
if I was going to if I was going to back one horse in the race, I'd back attitude. Okay. All right. Fantastic. Well, what, what, what are the right attitudes? Let's dive in a little bit. Like, you know, when you go to look to hire somebody or promote somebody within your ranks, um, what are the attitudes that you're looking for? Can you identify maybe a couple of them? Let's talk about them. Yeah. So maybe I can give a little bit more kind of context before I. So building a culture is what I spent 50% of my time on pretty much as a CEO. We also have a head of people and culture who helps me, uh, helps me extend my ideas, helps me turn them into actions and operational implementation uh, within uh, within the business. But building a strong culture is the way we want to grow, why I want to grow Bright Local. And the reason for that is I feel it's a great way to build a culture of an enabling environment where, where individuals in the business can be their best selves, can achieve a lot more than they would do, say, in a very hierarchical environment where they weren't given lots of autonomy, lots of support, where there was micromanagement uh, at uh, at play. And for me, I feel I don't want to run a business where I have to be involved in every decision and every conversation that matters. I want to be involved in as few conversations as possible. I want to make as few decisions as possible by empowering those throughout the organization to make more decisions. Obviously, if you throw someone into that world without giving them clear guidance, they could really struggle. And that's where I think culture comes in. It's about instilling people with the right understanding of how to make decisions, what's important to the business. So when they're evaluating opportunities and options, they've got a clear set of guiding principles that they can make those decisions with. And I would have to say, you know, I sit here today running a company of 200 people and I'm really not involved in a lot of the kind of day-to-day operational decisions anymore. Roll back five years before I developed a leadership team or brought a leadership team in, we'd all developed together, we'd kind of grown uh, and, and set this, this, this sort of you know, movement in motion within the organization. I was way too involved in, in, in daily decisions. I was, you know, had fingers in, in sort of too many pies. That started to slow things down as, as we grew. It started to frustrate those people who frankly knew a lot more than me about the things that they were running that I was, you know, meddling in, so to speak. Um, but now sort of five years on, I, you know, I feel I feel quite liberated from a lot of that, enabling me to really kind of focus on the culture as well as the strategy of the business, but also giving people in any in any kind of role within the business, be it a leadership role or an individual contributor role within a team, a lot more sort of ownership of what they do every day. You know, and that provides a lot of intrinsic motivation because they have the autonomy. We're giving them the skills, which gives them uh, you know, the, the ability to kind of do their job to a high degree. And the culture also kind of creates this sort of sense of belonging to something uh, something kind of bigger than bigger than themselves. So that's how that we we I'm we as a leadership team are trying to set up Bright Local. And I just I think we it goes beyond the leadership team because everyone is so um, uh, everyone in the business is empowered to protect that culture. It doesn't just reside with me or a few other people. Everyone wants to kind of protect it because they've they've they, they like what they see, they like what they feel about the business, and they want to ensure that that uh, that kind of continues. And we at the core of our uh, of our culture, we have a set of company beliefs. And those are essentially a set of behaviors that we use in many phases throughout someone's time at Bright Local to reinforce how we want people to behave and act. Uh, and we're quite a very, we are a very people focused business. So a lot of those behaviors are around being very supportive. So it's about being generous and considerate to your colleagues as well as customers. Uh, it's about focusing on learning, learning from mistakes, sharing the issues that we have, and getting better collectively. It's about embracing work 
It's about enjoying work as well. So it's about trying to find the time to enjoy work and life, have a good work-life balance, about being positive and proactive, open and transparent, uh, and also about respecting the individual and, in, and the right of everyone to be different and have individual needs, but doing so in a culture that champions teamwork and shared success above individual success. So there's essentially a lot of the, the, the kind of the kind of beliefs that we have that manifest into uh, into kind of behaviors. Now you talked about sort of specific attributes. Um, for us, it starts at the you know as we're interviewing people. You know, we actually have a beliefs interview, which is one of a one of the stages that every team member in any role has to to go through. And that that beliefs interview asks a number of questions, which really kind of conversation starters all around the eight, the, the eight beliefs that we have uh, have as a business. And it helps us tease out from the individual what they're like and how they'd respond in certain situations and you know how they would conduct themselves maybe you know, under pressure for example you know how would they how would they respond how would they work together to sort of solve a problem would they clam up and you know try and solve themselves or would they open themselves up be vulnerable and ask for help to uh, to to rise to the rise to the sort of challenge so for us when we do the interview process we have a skills interview if you pass that you go to the beliefs interview and quite often people will have the right skills and the experience to do the job. But when we get to the beliefs interview, you find that actually they wouldn't necessarily do it in the right way. They wouldn't be great, great colleagues and, and team members. And they wouldn't ultimately be people that would come in and add to the culture, making it stronger and richer uh, for both themselves and, and others within it. And if people don't pass the uh, the beliefs interview, even if they're great at their job and got the right experience and skills, they, they don't uh, they don't kind of join the business. And actually what we do at that belief stage is actually I do all the beliefs interviews myself, but I always do it with one or two other colleagues. And often those colleagues are very junior within the business um, because they were themselves, having been junior before we started recently, would have sat on the other side of the table and gone through that beliefs interview. And suddenly, you know, which we had a girl last week who had just passed a four-month internship and she was there interviewing her boss or someone who was applying to be you know, her, her team lead, her leader. And I found that's a great way of making people realize that these beliefs aren't just real on a piece of paper that get stuck in a drawer that no one looks at. These are living, breathing ways that we want to kind of grow the business. And what better way is to do that is to ensure that everyone who comes into the business you know, has to pass this sort of beliefs interview. And the people doing the interview process are not you know, people in the leadership team, sort of higher ups. It's me because I like to meet everyone who comes in, but also I like everyone within the business to get a chance, A, to vote who they get to work with, but also it gives them the chance to see that these beliefs are really, really used throughout the throughout the kind of organization. And that's been really, really powerful uh, at um, uh, ensuring that we get the right people uh, into the business. Someone asked me the other day, like, when you have this beliefs interview process, does it really extend out the, the interview process and, and, and take a lot longer? To a little bit, it does. And, actually, and we all work in, in an environment where I think recruitment is very hard. It's very competitive. People are moving jobs a lot. There's this whole talk of the, the kind of great resignation. And because of that, people sometimes hurry through the recruitment process. They don't lose a good candidate. They allow the candidate to kind of get bored or get given a, a job offer elsewhere. So what we've done is that we've actually condensed it down. And we try and get through the interview process in three days, but by going through all the steps and stages so that we don't lose one of those key stages. We just kind of compress the timeline so that candidates don't get bored. They're hurried through. We can make a quick decision. But we've done all the necessary, uh, the necessary checks. 
And once somebody's in the organization and they're working, you know, we do a number of things to, to reinforce our culture. So the thing I think is the most powerful and has been the most effective for us is every month we have a thing called the Big Heart Awards. Our logo is a heart. And so the Big Heart Awards is all about that. And Big Heart Awards are, it's a peer-to-peer sort of voting system where you can nominate a colleague who you believe has exhibited one of our beliefs and behaviors. And you vote for them on Slack, which is the messaging system we use we use internally, and you talk about what they've done. And sometimes it might be um, someone who's just been so good at their, their regular job, they just do it in such a great way that it makes someone's life easier. It could be a small, random act of kindness somewhere in the business where someone was just incredibly thoughtful, or it could be really significant where someone has delivered a new project or they've done a significant piece of work. No matter to be, there are really kind of no rules and regulations around it. But people can vote for each other and, non- and then they can get upvoted for those sort of beliefs. And we've got around 200 people in the business. We probably have around 30 to 40 um, nominations up a day that happen. And what's great about it is it surfaces for everyone else in the business to see. So you might find that someone in our development team gets nominated for responsibility. Someone in our HR and operations team gets nominated for loving work or living life or someone gets nominated for being proactive in solving a problem. And it's across the whole business. And it just bubbles up each day, four or five times a day, it pops up into your Slack and you click on it and you see that someone somewhere has done something that really lives up to our beliefs and that gets reinforced and then people get to, to upvote that. And then at the end of the month, they get counted up. There's usually two, 3,000 votes that have kind of gone on within, within the sort of business. There are winners and runners, runners up in each location and they get a, a day off. They also get a little prize, and they also get $250 to donate to a charity or a local cause that is significant to them. So they get a chance to support a local charity. And the great thing about that is it just drip feeds our culture in every day, just slowly, slowly reinforces it, reinforces filling the culture bottle up until it's almost overflowing. And because it's a peer-to-peer thing, it's not top-down. No, you know, I can nominate people and people can nominate me, but it's not about that. It's about others recognizing others, that peer-to-peer piece. And it just has this wonderful, supportive drip feed effect on our on our culture. Mm, I absolutely love everything you just said. I have the biggest smile. I just am so <laughs> happy to hear about this. Yeah. And I wanted to, I wanted to say a couple of things about what you just said. So you said I have a beliefs interview and I have a skills interview. So I wanted everybody to write that down that's listening. Make a note that more than one interview is really good. Um, because first of all, it, it it really demonstrates, I think, to the candidate that you're serious about culture. And I gotta be honest, I think people know that culture makes a difference, you know, especially, you know, if it's not their first job, they realize I want to work somewhere awesome. And so if they're treated a little bit differently than the average company in the way that they're taken through the interview process or they're onboarded, um, they notice. Do you have a story or somebody who might've even commented to you that they loved the process they went through to get hired? Yeah. So we've just, we've just recruited a, a new lead designer who, was a similar story I told where this we had a design intern who had just passed her internship and got to interview her her future leader, someone who was going to mentor and lead them through their actually their, their first job. And she did a brilliant, she did a fantastic job in this interview. I was incredibly impressed actually, because she's relatively new out of university, only been in an internship, been in for four months. But actually she she had some great questions, a great follow-on questions. So she she really embraced the opportunity. But on the flip side, the candidate 
came to us because he'd read about our culture. We, we do talk about these things. We do try and, and get the word out there. We've got good glass door reviews, et cetera. So some reinforcement out there. And they came to us because they, they were looking they were looking specifically for a place where they could exercise their skills in a culture that would really appreciate them. And they they from the outside in, and they saw these things about, about Bright Local, they'd read, they thought, this sounds like a really interesting business. They think it's right. But when they actually got into the interview process, they met the team. And they got to realize that someone who was going to be someone that they managed was able to interview them and actually had veto on whether they joined the business. It was like, I get this. I'm, I'm hooked now. This is exactly, you know, this is, you're not saying one thing and doing another thing. You're being entirely kind of consistent across the board. And for us, that was great. We knew we were hiring someone who was going to really be a value add on the culture side. And was actually, I'm, in a way, slightly terrified of this person because they are so forceful about culture that I know I'm going to wake up with three emails in my inbox most days going, why don't you do this? Or that's not good enough. And for me, that's great. It's great because actually we need people to push up to get better. We want to get better. Sometimes for me, the ideas dry up. So ideas come from other people is great. But I know that and I know they're going to be you know, enormously positive in enhancing that culture. But that absolutely brought brought someone to us who was the right person for us. It might well have put other people off. And we have we definitely do lose people in the interview process. I don't think anyone dislikes it. I just think it some people, for us, it's the right we want, we want those people in the business. And so if there's a way of ensuring that the people who aren't out of the people don't make it to the door, because actually they probably wouldn't have a great experience once they got there in the first place. So it's better they they learn early, then we get the right people. Now that takes a little bit longer. They're no doubt going to stay longer in the business. So that's absolutely fine with us. Mm, that is fantastic. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think going slow also in the interview process, I don't know if, you know, you're making me think of these little taglines that I've heard my whole career. One was uh, I picked up along the way. Miles was uh, be slow to hire and fast to fire. What What are your uh, thoughts on that one? Yeah. What do you think about that one? I agree with the first part. I agree with the first part. The second part, I'm saying a bit on the fence on, and I'll, I'll give you my reasons why why that is. So, firstly, when we we when we recruit someone, obviously we go through a fairly lengthy process, and I've even we bring someone into the business, we've made a commitment to them. We've made a commitment to help them have a better life, basically. And so, if someone doesn't work out or someone is struggling, we work very very hard to try and make it work for them. And sometimes we probably elongate the process where the writing may well be on the wall, but we're not ready yet to say goodbye to that person or to let that person go. And so we do give people a reasonable number. We don't have like a number of chances, but we do try hard to help them overcome some of the issues that they might be having in terms of, and it's generally not skills. It can be skills, but it also can be a sort of attitude and, and kind of characteristics. So I think we're pretty guilty of making it go on for too long, but I also think we have a duty of care to everyone that we you know, re-recruit into the business to help them improve and grow and give it and give it their give it their best shot. The downside of doing that is the collateral damage is on is on team members, is on team members who work around them because it makes their life a little bit harder. It's a bit of a drag on on them. They either have to cover that colleague because they're not able to do the work they were hired to do, or their their personality just clashes and it creates a slightly kind of toxic culture. Uh, within a team. So that is definitely the downside. And you certainly, when you make the hard decision to let someone leave the business, then the rest of the team members breathe you know, a collective sigh of relief. And actually you see that, you see A, their 
their work quality and their, their attitude kind of go up because they're not sort of having to temper or work around this this one individual. And you certainly see it in the, in the feedback that we get in terms of you know, how people are feeling, what they're, we use a, just got a pulse score, which is a weekly check-in to see how someone's feeling. And you certainly see the, the, number, the, numbers, uh, the numbers rise on that. When we do make that decision to, to let someone go, once we've made it, we make it happen pretty quickly. We make their departure as, um, as honorable uh, as, it, as it can do, you know, allowing them to kind of keep their dignity in the process. So we help them help work together with, with to craft language around why they're kind of choosing to leave and what's happening next. Typically, you give them extra money so that they're not having to then jump straight from us into any other job just because they need to work. So we try and give them some buffer so that they can make the next right step for them. And we treat them as much as much dignity as we can do. And actually, that helps to go and reinforce our culture and our beliefs again, because even if someone is leaving the business, they're no longer be part of the, of the kind of bright local family, doesn't mean they get treated any differently to people who are staying behind. And that's also a great message for those who are staying behind, that our beliefs matter and that we stand by them at every point in the work journey that we're on. Mm, fantastic. Fantastic. I love what you said is just honoring people in the process because sometimes it is just, you know, not a good fit, you know, and I, mm. I think sometimes in the interview process, you can ask those questions um, in your beliefs interview, but there might be some nuances or some some situations where people might call the beliefs situational and then you figure that out later and, and you know, you can't get that resolved with them because the belief systems just don't match. Um, so, so I really love what you're saying. The, the other thing that kind of bubbled up for me in there is that you said earlier that one of the things that we do is we do a lot of coaching. And I think oftentimes, you know, going to, you know, invite somebody to leave the company, they, it shouldn't really be a surprise because you've been having conversations. Yeah. You've been working on, you know, the, 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 the misalignment of whatever it is, the attitude or whatever. So, so how, how does your coaching process work? So each line manager will obviously have their direct reports. We use a system called 15.5, which is a SaaS cloud-based system, which helps us run our one-to-ones. And also we do a weekly check-in with team members. So the one-to-ones are regularly scheduled. The check-ins are from the team, uh, the person being managed to their, to their line manager saying how I'm feeling, what I'm working on, what are my priorities, what am I struggling with, and some other wider questions around the business. There can be sort of randomized series of questions that they get. But really the key is, is, is focusing on the one-to-ones, ensuring the one-to-ones are very focused around the individual and not necessarily the tasks they're doing, but how they're doing, how they're feeling, what are they getting out of the work experience, what can they do, what can they they do next, and then flipping into some of the more task orientated discussions that that uh, that we need to have, and those happen at least once every two weeks. So there's a high amount of interaction and contact at a very personal level between line managers and the people that they that they look after within the business, and that's where a lot of the coaching uh, the coaching happens. We also talk about a lot about giving feedback in the moment, so ensuring that. Strike while the iron's hot. If there's a situation that needs feedback, either positive or negative, give it there and then. And try and be as candid with it as possible. Don't don't duck out of giving feedback that will sound tough. But it's not about being tough. It's just about being clear. It's about being really clear what's good, what's not good, and how you can improve. I think the worst thing you can do is, is not be clear in your feedback. Not Bottle it up because you don't want to create a scene or you don't want to hurt someone's feelings or you don't want to seem like a bad person actually the person who loses that in that situation is the team member who's not getting clarity on 
where things aren't going quite right or what they should be doing more of, because that's what you want to see. The clearer you can be within the moment and as regular as you can be gives people the best chance to, to write any of the kind of incorrect behaviors and attitudes that they've got and double down on the things that are work, working really well. So I think the two things are make sure you stay very close to team members through regular contact and having good online system actually is incredibly helpful. So the system 15 five has this, has this weekly check-in takes about 10 to 15 minutes to do. And it allows the, the team lead to know exactly how each person is doing and getting on time. Particularly we're, we're working remotely or much more remotely these days. You're not you know, looking people in the eye day to day. This is a really direct kind of communication line back in. Then having that cadence of fortnightly one-to-ones. Again, so you can actually have an hour-long discussion about the individual, really focusing on them. And then there's culture of feedback in the moment and being really clear with the direction that you're giving people. And that's generally how we how we manage the sort of situations. But you're absolutely right. By the time someone gets to the point where they are being let go, it absolutely cannot be a surprise. Because if it is a surprise, then you've done them a disservice because they've not had the opportunity to change their behavior or change the way they work so that you give them a chance to be successful within the business. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, what I find is people just don't know sometimes that these behaviors aren't acceptable. Maybe they've gotten away with them up until this point. And then, you know, one of the responsibilities I think leaders have is to make people, as you're saying, uh, but I'm going to leave people better than I found them, you know, and, and I mm-hmm. love this idea of, you know, the focus needs to be on the other person, what you want the outcome for them, not the outcome for yourself. And I do think a lot of leaders fail to give feedback, fail to share in a, a candid and clear way. I'm using your language. Uh, what's really going on because again, they don't want to, their ego gets, they don't want to be seen as a bad person, but really you end up being the bad guy if you don't give them the feedback. Yeah. So it's absolutely essential. Yeah. There's um there's a book called um, Radical Candor, which is. Yeah. By Kim book. Scott. Yeah. By Kim Scott. Exactly. And I've read it, I've read it and listened to it a couple of times and the bit I, the bit I like the most that sort of awakened within me was this this kind of they have this quadrant they have two axes and one is around caring personally which is something you have to do for people to trust you and for people to actually take on board your feedback and realize that what you're giving them comes from a a good place a positive place that will help them and the other one is about being direct challenging directly i think is is the phrase that uh, that they use that's right that's right and when you're caring personally and challenging directly you're giving great feedback you're in this radical candor zone which is enabling people to get great feedback that will help them and know that it's coming from a a positive place so they can trust it they can take it on board they don't find it damaging necessarily they realize that you've got their best interests at heart and therefore they're they're more likely to take this and improve through it but if you have that caring personally but you're not being directly challenging with people you're in this place called ruinous empathy which i will be really honest i find myself in more often than I'd, than I'd care to be, where I'm just holding back on being really clear and honest with someone because I don't want to look like the bad person. I don't want to hurt their feelings. But actually, they're the ones who, get, who suffer from it. They suffer from my own insecurities because they don't get the full benefit of the feedback that they deserve so that they can take the, the course correction they need to improve, grow, and succeed. Yeah. Yeah, and I find the phrase ruinous empathy sounds like a horrible phrase and I and I you know I keep it in my mind because I never want I never want to be there because it sounds it sounds like a very bad place to be 
Yeah. And I don't know. Have you ever watched a uh, TED talk? Everybody, have you ever watched a TED talk or, or listened to a podcast where she's a guest? Have you ever done that, Miles? No, I haven't. <laughs> yeah. So Kim Scott is such a straight shooter, you know, she's she, and, and so like ruinous empathy. That's such her personality because she she kind of exaggerates and makes everything big. But I think, right. you know, really, she's trying to get leaders attention. She's like, listen, this will ruin things, you know, so so pay attention. So she's she is quite candid. That is for sure. Yeah. So you you mentioned it's almost like you're you're reading my tea leaves today. I wrote down the word virtual because in your bio, it says that you have, um, you know, 200 people in the UK, the Ukraine and the Philippines. And so I wanted, you know, I think more and more leaders are having to manage teams and lead teams that are just everywhere. So tell me a little bit about how you're doing that, um, how you're being intentional, uh, maybe a place where you're paying attention um, and you're having a great outcome. Do you mean in relation to culture or just growth of the business? I'd love to hear both. You know, um, I think that, you know, people like we're in here in Charlotte, North Carolina, and a lot of the Um, banks have sent people home and they're maybe 40 miles or four miles from from their where their office used to be, (laughs) but they're operating virtually. Um, So I think it takes um, uh, some intention and attention to manage a virtual team because you don't have that convenience of, you know, popping into somebody's office or meeting up with them in front of the coffee pot or whatever. So you, you know, you don't have really a choice with your folks that are in the Ukraine or the Philippines other than getting on a plane. So I'm curious, how are you keeping the culture going in those places? And then also uh, growing the business in such a global way? Yeah. Okay. Great. Thank you. For, you you've given me lots of lots of tangents to go off on. So I'll try. And okay, good. <laughs> and I love your tangents, so, by the way. <laughs> so culture, having a strong a strong culture is a, is a great way of keeping people unified and united across different different locations. It is a bit harder in different cultures, particularly because actually a lot of our we'd like to go and reinforce our culture by going over and seeing our teams as often as we can can do. And with COVID, we've not been able to go to the Philippines for two years. I did go to the Ukraine in November, so I was able to meet some team members there. But quite a lot of the team members haven't met us since they joined. If it's been two, two and a half years, they may never have met us or met us once. And so you therefore you can't meet people, you can't look them in the eye, and you can't convince them through your own personal power that what you said in terms of the interview process and, and, the, and what the culture is like is really true. So you have to find other ways to uh, to get them to kind of live it and breathe it. So I've mentioned two of the things that we have found great success with. One is the Big Heart Awards, which we run in all three locations. And that is a great way for them to recognize each other uh, and to, to nominate each other and to, and to kind of upvote. Obviously, the Beliefs interview uh, is another one, again, and we also reinforce that we get Ukrainian team members to, to go through the process as well. And I would say it has been a little bit harder there than we have over here. I think in the UK and probably in America, we've grown up in a very different culture than they have in, in Ukraine. You know, a lot of people who work on our team now, you know, Ukraine only became an independent country, I think, what, 25 years ago. So a lot of them are first generation outside the Soviet Union. Uh, and they've grown up a lot of got a strong authoritarian kind of government. And sometimes they can be a little bit unsure whether you're being genuine when you say, look, I want you to make decisions. You've got full autonomy. They look at you and go, really? <laughs> really? I'm not sure I believe you. And so they take a bit of time to, to, to they have to feel it a few times to, to kind of buy into it and to, and to get it. Uh, we, have a, we have a team member over there uh, called Anna, and she looks after the culture. So she's helping to take 
all the things that we do in the UK and transplant them over there, the best practices with a feedback loop for things that they try over, over there and they, and they do over here. We try and get people together quite a lot. So actually our team in the Ukraine has just come back from their, their annual ski trip where they go to the west of the country, they go skiing. We don't have a ski trip in, in, in the UK. We don't really have the sort of budget for it, but it's a little, a little bit cheaper over there and they, and they love it. And that's actually a great way of bringing the team together. So we do try and have those events, even though they're not working side by side in office every day, we do try and, try and get them together physically from time to time so they can have those kind of close relationships and they can uh, they can bond with team members. But certainly having a good connection between the locations. You also have someone in the, in the Philippines team who looks after kind of culture as well. And the three the three groups, the UK, Ukraine, Ukraine and the Philippines, share best practice. They talk a lot on a weekly basis, sharing ideas and trying to uh, to get things to get things to spread. So I would say there are definitely barriers around cultural differences, and there are certainly barriers around people working from home in different cultures because you just have less chance to have to build up those connections, to build up that sort of that tissue of understanding between between team members when they're not working physically with each other. But one thing that we have done a lot of is we'll work from home in COVID is we try to be as generous to people as possible. So really being generous in terms of giving people time off because it was stressful and high pressure, but also we've sent gifts out quite a lot. You know, so when, whereas usually we might have a party at Easter, we've sent chocolate fondue sets to everyone and encourage people to get online and have a fondue party virtually with their, with their colleagues. So we found other ways to do it, but it does require generosity. It does require forethought, it does require commitment to really investing in your culture. But I would say it absolutely pays off because our uh, our retention rate for team members is, is I would think, very high uh, compared to what a lot of other businesses in our industry face, given how competitive it is, rising salaries, all those situations. So I think the proof is in the pudding in that sense that people are staying with the business longer, they're enjoying the experience. And you know we, we pay a market rate, we don't pay lots more than other people. So it's certainly not salary alone that's keeping them, keeping them here. It's the fact that we we take care of people, we look after them. They know that they've got the best chance here of being in a culture that really cherishes their individuality, but is enabling them to kind of grow and mature and gain new skills and succeed in the areas that they want to grow their career in. Mm, fantastic, fantastic. Yeah, so I love the idea of a fondue pot. I immediately got a visual of my father. You know, he he had the fondue pot, 1970-something. Yeah. I love it. Okay, all right, that's fantastic. Yeah, so, you know, Miles, you seem to be really an informed leader. Like, you get it. Yeah. So how how did you get it? Like, how do you find yeah. your way into this place where you're like, we're going to have a culture person in each place and we're going to, I'm going to do culture 50% of the time. I think some of the leaders that might be listening are like 50%. What are you yeah, talking sure. about? I, I, <laughs> so, I can, so right. I'm so, over right. here having a moment <laughs> like, wow, this is so great. So, so how did, how did you figure out that that's where you want to position yourself? Cause I think it's absolutely fantastic. So tell me a little bit about your journey personally. I'm dying to know. Sure. Okay. So so I started the business in, in 2009. I'd never run a business before. I had worked doing business development in a number of media and software businesses. I actually got made redundant by the last business. I worked at a company called eHarmony. You probably know eHarmony, big, huge matchmaking sort of website. I was part of the launch team in the UK. Didn't, didn't work out. Basically, didn't work out. I got made redundant and it hit me pretty hard. I was incredibly disappointed in myself. I had two kids at the time. I just felt really rubbish and I felt that I was a failure 
And I didn't want my kids growing up with a dad as a failure. So I took that as a, as a real motivator for me to, you know, to get together, to do something significant. I'd always wanted to run a business. So I decided, well, I'm going to go and run a business. And the, the three years are pretty slow. I have a business partner called Ed. He's our chief technology officer. We still you know, run, run and own the business together. And yeah, we, you know, we, the first three years were very slow. You know, we had a lot of freelancers. We had day jobs. We were scrapping and grappling to get stuff together. Around 2011, we got to around $20,000 of revenue each month. And that meant I could pay myself for the first time. So I stopped my day job and went full-time on Bright Local. And our path with this is then it's been always been sort of focused on long-term profitable growth. We don't, we don't have any outside investment. We're a bootstrap business. And we've always been focused on growing profitably. And we've grown roughly 20% year on year since since then. And we've grown through reinvesting the profits. And as we're a software business, it's about bringing in other people. We haven't got factories. We don't have stock. We don't have big fixed costs. It's all about people. So it's really been about who can we bring in to help us to that next stage, next stage of growth and, and, and investing, uh, investing in them. And so fast forward 10 years, we're at 200 people. I've never run a business of 200 people. But six months ago, I'd never run a business of 160 people. And before that, we've 100 people. So I've had to evolve enormously. I think before I ran this company, I think my biggest team was two. I've never managed more than two people directly. And so I have had to go on, an, on, a, on a tough personal journey of self, self-growth. And that journey continues every day. So I say to anyone who, you know, who, who cares to ask or who joins the business, I said, my job changed every six months. The challenges I face due to the scale, due to the size of the people, due to the size of the business, changes every six months and I have to rapidly, rapidly keep up. So I do that through a lot of study. I read a lot of books, but I listen to a lot of books. I do a lot of running as a sort of, you know, something to kind of keep my my mind, my, my body and my mind fit. So I probably listen to one or two leadership books a month. And I'll obviously and I'll obviously and I generally re-listen to them. So I'm going through a cycle of re-listening to my favorite 10 at the moment. 10, which has given me great ideas and reinforced that. So a lot of it is about, is about continually investing. And the time for me to do it is when I go running because I can listen and run, I can absorb it all. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm multitasking, essentially. Um, so that's that's been my personal journey is, is one of growth. Why I like culture so much, well, it really, it, I, I personally, it really, it really appeals to me. I'm not big into sales. I come from maybe a bit more of a kind of marketing background, but the bit I like is people. I like working with people. And I like creating a culture and environment that people like to work within. And so culture is a key, key part of that. And it, and it really interests me because I find it, it's about sort of, it's about sort of psychology and understanding what people need to feel self-motivated. So actually a big part of, I think maybe why we've been quite successful in, in lockdown is when we bring people in, one of the attributes we look for is self-motivation and proactivity. And if you put a, a self-motivated, pro- proactive person in a lockdown scenario, they actually work harder than, than don't work. And so actually we spend more, we have more conversations in the business about how do we avoid people burning out than how do we get people to work harder? Because we, we've got the right mix of people in, we've given them autonomy, we've given them the skills to do the job. We've created this incredibly supportive environment where actually they want, they don't want to let other team members down. And that creates a environment where we would just want to work hard and, and feel fulfilled and do a good job for, not for me, not for the company, but for themselves and for their their teammates to the left of them and the right of them. So therefore, kind of culture is is a way that we've grown the business because I can't be a part of every conversation and I don't want to be. I want people to make quick decisions, but I want them to make decisions within the right kind of guidelines with the right ideals. And that's what we reinforce through through our culture. So people can make decisions. They know 
how to make decisions in, in the right way, and they make them quickly. They didn't always get them right, but we learned from our mistakes. We actually have a, a very kind of transparent culture, so when someone makes a mistake, they often jump on Slack and share it. Go, look, I've just done this. Totally screwed it up. I made a massive hash of it. Sharing it because I don't want anyone else to make that mistake. And then we all move forward. We certainly don't have a culture of sort of retribution and finger pointing. It's like, okay, let's all learn from the mistakes so that we can all collectively not make that mistake uh, a second time around. Mm, I absolutely love it. Yeah. And so I love what you're saying too, because I, I would think uh, that I, if you had the culture that you, you guys are striving for, you would have people that are like, they don't ever leave work, you know, like they go f- fix dinner, make sure the kids are okay. Oh, let me just go back and do a couple more emails because I was right there in my office. So, you know, having those right people in the first place, you'd have the opposite problem. I love that. Now I am dying to know what your favorite 10 books are. Now I bet you can't get them all. Maybe you can't get them all 10 in this oh, moment, but yeah. <laughs> would you would you mind sending those to me so I can put them in yeah. the show notes? I, yeah, um, I can read them out to you if you like. Oh, you yeah. Read, read yeah. them to me. I'd I love to know what the 10 are. Uh, well, so I am a big fan of Simon Sinek. So The um, Infinite Game uh, is one of the books that I that I really, really like. Uh, I like Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. That's actually how we've worked in creating our leadership team and creating the the sort of the way the, the character of the different teams where they, where they work with each other, a big part of our culture built around that. Um, what else do I want to be? Drive by Dan Pink, which is all about understanding intrinsic motivation. So I'm just going through my, I'm going through Audible now and, uh, and I'll be looking at them. There's a great <laughs> book called Black, Box, called Black Box Thinking, which is all about how to learn from mistakes and how different industries namely it it contrasts the medical industry with the aviation industry learn from mistakes and that's i think was just fascinating sort of social psychology as well as personal psychology to understand about how the right culture built around learning through through problems not brushing under the carpet uh, enables sort of hyper growth uh i love a book called the trillion dollar coach which is all about this amazing uh, guy called bill i've forgotten his name now right he's just called bill and he was a coach for the leaders at Apple, the leaders at Google, the leaders at Facebook. He they, and the book is called The Trillion Dollar Coach because basically he coached companies worth you know that much that much money. And that's a really interesting book for leaders in terms of wanting to, to understand how to be a better coach. It's a great uh, a great read. Um, what else have we got to uh, measure what matters, which is a book by John Doerr about how to set objectives within an organisation, and a great book called Execution actually, which is a book about how to about how leaders can often be so focused on strategy and so far removed from how that strategy is implemented within the business. And that's often the missing piece. It's like, well, I've got a great vision, you know, I've got a great direction. I know what our strategy needs to be, but why is it amounting to nothing? Or why is it not getting close to where we need to be? And often that gap is around execution. And it points out how business leaders can sometimes be too separated. They can put themselves on a pedestal and not worry about how things get implemented within the business. And this book, Execution, has helped to build, helps to sort of fill in the gaps in between. And for me personally, as business grows, I think, oh, well, I'll focus more on strategy and I'll focus more on culture. It's helped anchor me back down into the operations where I'm not micromanaging, but I'm ensuring that the people, people who, you know, who in, within the leadership team and then there's sort of deputies, how we're always talking about to how are we going to do that? What is the plan for doing it? How are we actually going to make this happen? And so therefore we're grounding in actual actions and responsibilities that we can follow through on rather than just having it as this kind of esoteric strategy, which just never really gets operationalized. So I think those are 
be quite good books. They're probably the best ones that I that I kind of go back to. There are probably a couple yeah. of others. But... That's a fantastic list. That's a fantastic list. All right. We'll make sure to put those in the show notes, everybody. Um, so I, I'm wondering uh, how you might uh, talk about SEO for a moment. So, you know, you were talking yeah. about how leaders are up here. They might put a strategy in place. Uh, we all know that our presence on the web is vital. It's important. Mm-hmm. Um, so so what do what do leaders need to know about their presence on the web? And, and what would be some ways that they could, you know, double check what's really going on? Maybe they might be removed from whatever that process is. So uh, what are the things they need to check on and make sure are getting executed? Broad, a broad topic. Let me try and summarize it. I guess from, from SEO is all about Google wants to know, we work in, with local businesses generally, so businesses who attract their customers from a physical, a local area. So it could be a place that you go to visit, like a restaurant or a hardware shop or a cafe, or it could be a service business that comes to you, like a gardener or a plumber or a construction company, or it could be a professional service, like a lawyer or a consultant. Essentially, any businesses, there are around 10 million of these businesses in the US, and they're typically looking to find their customers from within a defined area. So it could be a town, a city, even a zip code of there, a, a very local cafe. And I guess the opposite of that is e-commerce-based businesses or cloud-based businesses, credit cards or aeroplanes, or anything that doesn't necessarily attract their, their customers from a, from a local area. But with an SEO, Google is really looking to understand essentially how good you are at what you do and where you're located. So those are the things it's trying to pin down. You know, location it's quite easy for Google to tell and you quite easy for you to give information to Google about where, where you're located. The harder bit is about how good you are at it, you know, and can you have you got authority in that area? So whatever your business does, what you need to do is ensure that you are basically showing off to Google in as many ways as possible how good you are at something. And you could do that through writing content on your website that talks not just about what you do, you know, you might have a service page, but also bits of research that you might do or things that reinforce that you're a genuine bona fide expert in something. And sometimes that might be something that comes from you personally, or it could be a connection that you've got to another expert. So you could have a business that's a chiropractor, but you might have linkages to other chiropractic associations. You might link to other chiropractors and you might sort of bring in other specialists to write content on your website. If someone is a specialist in ankles, let's say, which I'm sure there must be, get that expert who is well-known on the web, who has got real bona fide authority to talk about that, to do something on on behalf of you for your your kind of customers. So it's about telling Google, I said, where you're located, but also how how much of an authority you are, your bona fide expert. The hard thing about SEO is it's not a flash in the pan. It's something that you have to continually invest in. And I know this partly because it's my, my business to know it, but partly it's also how we've built our business. So if I give you some uh, sort of some numbers about our business, we have around 6,300 customers. We acquire around 150 customers a month. We also have around 100 people try our platform every day. So there's a free trial option. So 100 people come to us and try it every day. About 95 of those come from Google, from organic search rather than paid search. So we know we've we've built an engine that brings people to us, but it has taken a lot of time and it's a constantly moving set of goalposts. So we know it works because we've put the investment in there. But if we stopped investing in it today and we decided, you know what, we've done enough, we've done enough content, we've done enough authority building, we've got enough online reviews about us, 
we know over time that that would erode and it would worsen and it would dwindle and, and those 95 would become 85 become 75 55 and it would drop off because other people around us are continuing to invest and so the goalposts are constantly being moved because it's a competitive landscape one of the things that a lot of business owners business owners don't understand is they think seo is a, is a one and done set it and forget it type approach actually as with any part of your business you have to keep evolving and keep and keep nurturing it so one of the things that people should probably do is which they have that clearly understood and work out what they want to spend their budget you know do they do they want to spend it constantly building this sort of long-term organic lead generator which is what seo is or do they want to invest it in more short term short return channels such as ppc paid advertising paid social also there are other things you could do you could do you know, you could run podcasts, you could run webinars and host those and, and invest in that side of things. So there are other things that you could do. It's about finding the balancing out that's right for you. I mean, personally, for me, I think and I would always encourage people to, to be layering on that, that bedrock of, of search engine authority. And over time, it will come good and pay off. But obviously, you need, you need leads to be getting customers through the door. So you've got to have some, some short-term options that drive that drive traffic as well. The key thing is actually is, is thinking about your website and making sure that your website is converting the most that it, that it possibly can do. So if someone is coming from organic search or they're coming from paid search or they're coming from social media, they're landing on a website that gives them what they need very quickly and does that in a way that conveys that you're the best person to provide that service. So they're going to want to click on whatever your action is. It's a call, to, it's, it's call me now, um, submit a form, sign up for free like you can do on Bright Local, that they take the action that you want them to do. So focus a lot on making sure your website conveys you in the best possible light and the most convincing possible light, get that right first and then look at the other channels that are bringing, potentially bringing people to you and see where you want to make your investment. But I would say don't underestimate how long it takes to be successful at search engine marketing. I think people, some people have the attitude that it's free marketing and it's easy to do. It's, it is essentially, ostensibly free because you're not paying for it, but you're paying for someone's expertise to get it right. And I think, it's quite hard to understand all the facets of local search marketing. And sometimes we have business owners who come to us, sign up and then get a bit confused and unsure about how to, what to do next. I would say in that circumstance, use a marketer, use a professional marketer whose job it is, is to truly understand this. Find someone reputable, try and find someone who can be recommended to you and make the investment with them. You'll free up an awful lot of time so that you can focus on running the core business and you can focus on building the culture as your business grows. Mm, that is some solid advice. And so I, I just wondering if there's a special listener listening right now, somebody who's a leader, they've got a business, they want to draw people in locally, they want to build their culture. What's the one last little bit of nugget advice you would give them, Miles? What's one thing that I haven't asked the right question and you want to tell us? What, what do you want to tell us about running a business? About running a business or about search marketing? Let's go with your search marketing. Yeah. What's the one little nugget you want to leave them with? I would focus a lot on your online reputation. So through existing customers, get online reviews. Get them to become advocates to your business. Don't be embarrassed about asking for referrals, building case studies, getting them to leave reviews for you. Because then you can start to utilize those reviews in so many places on your own website, in marketing materials. It starts to appear in Google search engine results. It appears on key websites. So, you know, use, use your customers to gain, to gain other customers. Don't be shy about asking because I think from our own research, eight times out of 10, if you ask someone to leave a review, you've had a good experience, they'll do it for you. 
and they'll no doubt be an advocate for your business as well. So that's a great way for you to turn one customer into three. And if you can do that multiple times over, then you've got the flywheel turning and your business is going to really start to move. It's probably the easiest way to win new customers. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Well, it has been such a delight to have you on the Build a Vibrant Culture podcast. I feel like we need to have you come back and tell us how to build our SEO. We can have another uh, session. Uh, we'll see see if you'll have time for us in the future. We can do that. But uh, if people want to get a hold of you and they want to take advantage of your genius and uh, hire you to get them some SEO, what, what's the best way to reach you? Well, it's not my genius. It's the genius of my team. So that's probably a good thing for you to know. You can find right. us at writelocal.com. Uh, there you can find everything you need to know about us. You can sign up for free, have a free trial. You can put yourself in with our sales team who are very consultative. So they'll talk you through all you need to know. They'll help you understand what the software does and how it solves the challenges that you've got. We also have a free academy. So if you are the learning type, there are five or six courses that pretty much tell you everything you need to know about local search marketing or local SEO. So go there, take the course, get a nice little accreditation at the end. It's entirely free. You don't actually have to sign up to Bright Local to use it. So it's free for anyone to access. If you have any questions for me personally, you want to ask you anything to do with you know, the company, leadership, any, anything of interest, you can reach me at miles at brightlocal.com. Miles is spelled M-Y-L-E-S. A little bit unusual. So miles, M-Y-L-E-S at brightlocal.com. Fantastic. Thank you, Miles, for being on the Build a Vibrant Culture podcast. It's been an absolute delight. Thank you for giving me a book list. I'm a major uh, reader, so I appreciate uh, some of the ideas on there that I haven't read yet. So thanks so much, and uh, we will have a great afternoon. Thanks. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Bye. Ready to build your vibrant culture? Bring Nicole Greer to speak to your leadership team, conference, or organization to help them with her strategies, systems, and smarts to increase clarity, accountability, energy, and results. Your organization will get lit from within. Email Nicole at NicoleGreer.com. And be sure to check out Nicole's TEDx talk at NicoleGreer.com.